Welcome to this evening's episode of Atlantic Tales, when we'll hear about the invaluable research being done by the volunteer members of the Clare Roots Society. The Clare Root Society was founded in 2006 by Ennisman Larry Brennan as an amateur family history, genealogy and heritage group in County Clare. Now made up of members from all over the world, volunteers research both the family and built heritage of their local areas and the group has already published over 30 books. The idea for setting up the society arose out of a personal journey Larry Brennan took in search of information about his own family. In 1999, my both parents died within seven weeks of each other, and the family gathered together, and we, around the fire, as we'd say, we realised we didn't know the true history of my mother. So with that in mind, I started searching and going out there to see what was available and what wasn't available. So I went online, and a small group of people came together online that were involved with uh, genealogy in Clare and they were in Australia, they were in America and they were here in Ireland. So we got to a stage where we realised that we needed further information online and we felt at that stage the only way to achieve this was set up a local organisation in Innes that would be able to collate, collect and see what was the story with regard to records that were available. There would have been people with an interest in history and probably would have done certain research in certain areas, but this was a broader scope, wasn't it? Oh, this was. This stretched as far as Australia, this stretched as far as America, and it, it was around the time of the gathering, etc., etc., that everyone had an interest in tracing the roots, to see where they came from and who they belonged to. So basically, in 2016, we called a meeting. It started with a letter to the two local papers looking for like-minded people that might be willing to come together and set up an organisation. And then 16 people came together over the museum building around Temple Gate. And out of that was the beginning of Clare Root Society. This was all at a time, Larry, in the late 90s where we were only starting to get internet. It was timely in a way. It was timely in a way and it was timely that records with the 2001 census, the Clare Library was ahead of itself at that time. So we had the 2001 census online from Clare Library, where no one else in Ireland seemed to have it. You had to go to actually Dublin and check the census, but from anywhere in the world you could check the 1901 census, which began the whole thing as well. It encouraged people to go a bit further. So what started off as research into your mother's family and background in years turned into something much, much bigger. It did. It turned into, uh, uh, some might say, a nightmare. My wife might say a nightmare that I started beginning to spend more time in graveyards than I did at home at times. And we wanted to add to the information. Where do you begin? Where can you get information? And it was on front of everyone really in County Clare in the local graveyards. The amount of detail that's written on headstones was unbelievable. So we started out, the first uh, trial project could well have been Old Drumcliff. Now, Old Drumcliff is a wild place. It's on the side of a mountain and graves are all over the place. So we tried to get funding, which we did from the Department of Tourism. We, we surveyed it properly. 
in the sense of we got a land surveyor in to take the four corners of every grave and with that then we got 16 people to take on sections of Drumcliff graveyard and the amount of information we got we got over a thousand graves up in Old Drumcliff and over 2,700 inscriptions about all families so that was the beginning of one of the major sides of Clare Root Society which was graveyard recording. And once one person can find information about their family member, others want to do the same as well. It's an awful drug. Genealogy is an awful drug because it's like the elusive one. We're all trying to find our great-grandfather, our great-great-grandfather, and we are lucky now in the present climate. You can easily get back, particularly if you're in Innes, you can get back to 1800s without any great difficulty by sitting at home watching television at night time with your laptop on front of you. In about three hours, you'd have got back to 1800s, no problem with the records we now have online. Genealogy then, we can see the attraction, you get information, you find out about your family and everyone wants to know about their family, I think. But what exactly is it? Well, the first thing is it, it's not, is gynaecology. Because a lot of people mix genealogy up with gynaecology, so I can confirm that it has no link to that. Now, uh, genealogy is basically uh, three things, names, dates and places. So you, everyone has a name, everyone was born somewhere, uh, and there's a date attached to it. So that's genealogy, and then on from that comes family history. So family history is the meat on the bones of genealogy. So you get your facts first, and then you build around your facts with regard to what's surrounded a person, what was the lifestyle when they were living, what kind of a job they worked in, uh, notable uh, activities they were involved with, etc. So you build on the bones to build on family history. But what's the attraction of it? As they say, people want to know their own history, but it's, it's much more than that because a lot of effort goes into it. There is, but even genealogy has moved on now because of health. You know, you look at your health and you want to see, uh, was it running in the family? So a lot of people now go to death certs and they see what did their grandfather die of, what did their uncles have, and you can put a picture together of basically a health diary with regard to your own family. And that can be helpful to watch what might come out of the blue at a later stage in life. Apart from the core group of people, Larry, then, who got involved with the Clare Root Society at the start, did you find that other people further afield in the county or in the town were becoming curious? Yes, because we started uh, another project in conjunction with the, the Root Societies. It was called My Home, My Place, My Heritage. Basically, that started back in about 2008, where we decided further information could be got by going through the streets of Innes and every street could be recorded and the people within every house could be recorded and the details were out there so it was a matter in Innes particularly we have a fair base with regard to family histories of all the people in the different streets in town like I always reckon we're definitely the central corridor done of Innes where you start at Steel's Terrace all Steel's Terrace is done up Abbey Street up O'Connell Street up the Turnpike and then flinging out into the adjoining areas, Chlorine, Clockley, uh, Hermitage will be coming online very shortly. So the amount of information that every that we have recorded for every family now, we've given them the bones, I stress again, with regard to genealogy by recording who was in what house where. Now it's up to everyone else to take it to the next phase and do their family history, which is the meat on the bone. While the Clare Root Society was born in Ennis out of what was a personal research 
Research Project, the group and its work has extended far beyond town and county. American-born Jane Halloran Ryan is married and living in Tulla and is a professional genealogist currently working on a PhD. Jane has very strong Clare connections and is current chair of the society. I'm actually uh, a member of the Tulla diaspora. My great-grandmother was from Tulla, from a townland uh, just above the village called Tarita. And um, I actually, on my, that's my father's side, my mother's side, my great-great-grandfather was from Fecal. He was a Hayes from Fecal. But I grew up in Connecticut and I came over one summer to visit cousins. I absolutely loved it over here. Uh, came back a following summer. And the summer after that, I had been invited to take part in a law program in Newman College in Dublin. So I came over for the year, came down to Clare to visit the cousins on a regular basis and met my husband and stayed. So that's why I'm in Ireland. Uh, I did take a law qualification through the Law Society of Ireland, practiced for a couple of years, um, always had an interest in genealogy. My mother had an interest in genealogy. My father's mother had an interest in genealogy. And um, I continually was working on my genealogy and naturally found my way to Clare Root Society as a result of that. So when you were young, in the States and in school. Had you that interest in your family background? Were you curious I, and open? I was always a curious kid. I was a kid that always asked why. And my mother was doing genealogy, her own family, long before the internet. And we'd get in the car and we'd go up and she, you know, up this way and down this, you know, to whatever. And uh, met cousins that uh, knew her grandfather, my great-grandfather, uh, a lovely gentleman and his wife. And we used to visit them and we met them and some of their family members. So yeah, I always had an interest. And what happened was I ended up doing a certificate there in UL on genealogy, just to bring me up to date really with uh, internet, <laughs> because there was no internet when I was doing it or when I started doing it. And um, got involved then with Clare Root Society and got involved as well with an organization called Ireland Reaching Out which connects diaspora all over the world with their um, ancestral parish. So I got involved. We started meeting a lot of people, myself and other committee members, um, meeting other people that were coming over to Tala and helping them trace their ancestry and showing them around and showing them maybe a headstone and, you know, that sort of thing and uh, keeping up the connections. And that really flowed nicely with the whole Clare Roots Society, um, which is a lot of diaspora connections and diaspora networks. And that's really reflected in the membership of the Clare Roots Society and the people Today, or last night, we had our, our most recent meeting. We had um, people from all over the world attending the talk on Zoom, as well as an in-person audience. So it's, it's, it's really nice, it's very global. It was clearly very important to your mom and to yourself that you knew your family heritage, your history. Was it the same with all your family? Was everyone interested and curious? Some were and some weren't. Um, uh, my, my brother and sisters are not as interested, although they'll say to me, oh, did you find anything out new? But I'm they're, curious, they're yeah. never interested in going and finding it out themselves. I think one of the things, um, now, not with my mother's family, but with my father's family, there were letters written from Charita to Connecticut for almost 80 years, uh, back and forth. It started with my great-grandmother writing to her family, and then when she died, my grandmother took it up, 
and um, she was writing to her aunts then and then she was writing to a cousin's wife and then that cousin's wife's daughter continued it on so we had we were really lucky in that sense that we had this letter writing back and forth so we knew where they were from and we knew names of people you know there you meet people that have no idea and they may not that be that far gone from Ireland um, you know, it might just be, let's say, great-grandparents, but they have no clue, which is kind of sad. I'm very, I feel sorry for people that don't, you know, that might not have that kind of information, but we were very lucky. How then, Jane, did you become aware of Claire Roots? I knew about Claire Roots uh, for a couple of years there, and I mean, I had a very young family, so it was hard for me to get out in the evenings, but I was keeping up with what they were doing, um, certainly from the, um, you know, the newsprint and radio and the, the public relations and that kind of thing. And then I had an opportunity to, to start attending regular meetings. And so that's how I started. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a great organization, very welcoming to anybody with an interest in genealogy, um, has, has really had... Um, a great run of publications, over 30 publications that have been done, as well as that several conferences have been done that have attracted people from all over the world with a, an interest in Claire history, Claire um, genealogy. And we have now, with the, the, since COVID, we have been able to go through um, you know, to, to reach a wider audience with Zoom. So it's, you know, it's, it's been, it's gone from strength to strength. And it's, you know, I, I have to give credit to the founders, um, the founding members there who really had the foresight to put this group together. And is, they've just done, I mean, there's such a massive archive of Claire genealogical material as a result of their, their hard work and their enthusiasm. Um, you can even see that on the Claire Library website. And they're putting up, you know, all sorts of information and then other people from outside of Clare and outside of Ireland adding their own information. So it's been a wonderful collaboration. It's just really a, it, it's, it's a group and I'm not trying to brag because I'm chairperson of it or anything because I can't take credit for that. But it's just a group that has been so generous um, and, with, and great with the collaboration and this fantastic archive that really, it, it's really a, a template to what should be done. Coming up, we'll hear more about the invaluable work being done by the Clare Root Society at home and abroad. Welcome back to Atlantic Tales. The Clare Root Society was founded in 2006 by Ennisman Larry Brennan as an amateur family history, genealogy and heritage group in County Clare. Almost two decades and over 30 publications later, the Society is made up of members not just from Clare, but from all over the world. Jane Halloran-Ryan is chairperson of the Clare Root Society. The diaspora are fantastic because what we have found is that they often have information that has been passed down from their own generations out, let's say, in Australia, of place names and of um, events that might not have been uh, as well known here. So they, they can be a fantastic resource for information, but they're great because they 
You know, for instance, Australia has fantastic resources for genealogy, and so many of the Australians, or so many of the Irish that went out to Australia, the Australians were very good in a lot of ways in taking down records, um, you know, names of the families that were going out and the ages and where they came from. So their, their research and their resources are really good. And, and the U.S. is very good, and Canada is very good, you know, these other places. Um, so it, it's, it's a mix. We can help them locally on the ground and they can help us, you know, in their own area as well. So it's, it's a nice, um, it's a nice team, teamwork there and, you know, cooperation between two. But there is both. They, they often will ask about people out in Australia that we may have access or have information about other families that are connected or they often ask about particular places here in Clare or, you know, particular resources or, you know, that we might know about that they have not come across. Not just Australia, of course, you have Oh, no, I'm using Australia, but everywhere. yes, everywhere, yeah. Um, from uh, Canada and the U.S. and even, you know, Europe. Um, we have had um, New Zealand, um, I'm trying to think. We've had a little bit, I've had a little bit of contact with somebody in Mexico um, that had a, an ancestor that went out there. Um, and, and there is a South America element as well, but that's just coming kind of to the forefront. Well, it's coming, bubbling up there, let's say, yeah. So you don't know what to expect. You could, you could get a call or an email from, from Fiji, from China, from any place. Anywhere, yeah. You really could get a call or an email from anywhere in the world. Yeah, it's very, very true. You mentioned earlier how you did the CERT in UL. You've taken those studies considerable steps further. I have. I did a master's in local history there. Um, I got my degree there five years ago, or six years ago now, and I am completing a PhD from Mary Immaculate College in Limerick. Um, at the end of this year, uh, I'm looking at, uh, it's called Networks of Necessity, um, and it's, a, it's talking about networks that existed um, amongst various generations of one family that uh, emigrated from a particular place in Tulla to um, a particular place in the U.S., being Norwalk, Connecticut, and how those connections continued from about 1850 to about 1910 um, through various generations, families continuing to come over. And, the information, you know, that the, the way they, they communicated, you know, being a, a continent away, but they were continuing to um, communicate with one another and to um, assist one another. So the next time we talk, you'll be Dr. Jane I will Ryan. be Dr. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mary Hester is a retired history and French teacher and another member of the Clare Roots Society. Even after retiring from her teaching job, Mary has kept herself busy researching particularly in her own local area of Ballynacally. She has also completed a Master's in Local History and has been interested in history and people from a young age. Well, I think I was always interested because my late father from here, from Ballynacally, Michael Griffin, would have been very interested in history. My mother less so. She was too busy working all the time. But um, I think I was always interested. Then I went to college, did history. Um, when I started teaching, you know, you become um, taken up with the curriculum. So it's very much what's on the course rather than what your own interest is. But I would always have had an interest 
artist all through my life. I would always be, you know, looking up bits and pieces on local history. I was always a member of Shannon Archaeological and Historical Society and I was a committee member at one stage on the Clare Archaeological and Historical Society. So I have to say it was always there that interest. Was it that interest in history and local history that prompted you to go to college and study history and did you want to teach history? Was that part of your plan growing up? Well I can't say it was part of my plan because um, we just didn't have very very um, detailed plans at that time. We I went to college and it was one of the subjects I picked to study. Again um, I was going to be a teacher because there were very few options except teaching or the civil service or the bank so I wanted to be a teacher and history was one of the subjects. Um, history I think um, everybody can be taught history. They might think they can but history is a story. It's the story of some place or some person or uh, and if they if a student realizes it's a story well then it's a different thing to you know dates and battles and so on but I think that for students it is very difficult and for teachers it was because you had to teach what was on the curriculum and what was going to be asked in exams but nowadays especially in the primary schools there's a far more open um, approach and the teachers and the students do study local history and do they might think they're studying it but they're talking about it and that's the big thing to be interested and they'll talk to old people and they'll ask them about their lives so i think there's a, a much different emphasis now i also think that um, in secondary schools history was a poor relation because it was never one of the subjects needed to do chemistry or to do science or to do um, art or to do it was never a, a definite subject so students who went on to leaving cert i found were always interested very pleasant to teach them i always loved teaching leaving certs because at that stage they were interested and they hadn't a bias, they wanted to do it and they knew they liked it and, and it was very important. Also at Leaving Cert level there was an a chance to do a special study so they could pick something of their own interest and that again and they learned how to research and that again gave them more tools and more skills and of course history is one of the subjects that you can take up never having done it in school and many people when I retired I went back to UL to do a master's in local history and some of the people in the in the class with me had never studied history in school but they had more knowledge because they had acquired it during their lives and I find that as well I have learned more since I retired probably than I did for many of the years I was teaching. <laughs> So it, it's that kind of a subject that you can, it can be self-taught. Are you still researching Banana Cali in the local area and are you still finding out new things about the area? I am. I, I'm still researching Ballinacalli. At the moment, I'm just finishing a booklet on Ballycoric Church, um, which will be out maybe at Easter time. But, and I am finding out new things. Everybody has something to tell you. Um, only this week, I discovered new things about the church. Now, I have lived here all my life, except for when I was in school and college. And I can't say I know a lot. You know, some of the people are fantastic with their memories and I can learn so much from from them and I think it's important for somebody to record that because you know in a few more generations we will have a very different society and maybe these things will never be recorded so I think it is important. Now I also do a lot of um, 
family history now, family trees, people through Clare Roots Society, which I have to say I, I joined soon after retiring, has been a fantastic um, hobby for me because I invariably almost every week get um, you know a call from Clare Library or a call, an email from Clare Roots or maybe from the school, um, you know, could I help? So, you know, and that to me is, is great. I love the challenge of trying to find out something about somebody to help them. And of course, it's all voluntary. I don't do anything other than voluntary work. How important is it that local history particularly is kept, is documented, and that we get those stories now before it's too late? Because so many stories probably are lost. Let's save what we can. Is that the attitude? That's my attitude, definitely, because local history would never be, you know, the, the main history. It'll never be uh, mainline history, if you like, national and inter international use. But we have to remember that while all these national events are taking place, history is being made in our own place in our own village, in our own parish, in our own school. And it's very important to document that because that's what will be local to the people who grow up here, the generations after us that will be wondering, well, what was happening in Balnekali in January 2023? And, you know, it may not be much, but, you know, roll books can be fantastic. I find that the roll books can give a huge amount of history. During lockdown, a project that I undertook was to transcribe the local roll books. Now, I have to say the Board of Management and the teachers in the school were most gracious in allowing me to do that. It's not always possible. And during it, I was talking, it was a great chance to talk to people during lockdown because if I didn't know something, I rang somebody. And during it, it's funny, but I discovered that Paul Meskell's grandmother went to school in Kelly. And that was completely new, you know, so, yeah. you know, there's always something. I, I find as well that, you know, I know funerals are sad places, but they can be very happy places where people tell stories. And those stories can be fantastic. As well as that, they're fantastic for family connections. You know, Clare Roots is all about genealogy. And funerals, especially in the country, they are great sources, great sources of um, information. And people love to talk about the connections at a funeral and the family at the funeral. And it's all in a very positive way. There's nothing negative about it. And some of the family connections, you know, funerals I find in retirement, I have time to go to a funeral properly, as I say, to go to the mass and talk to people afterwards. And um, you learn who was connected to who, where their parents came from. Only quite recently, through Clare Roots, um, I got an email from somebody in Australia trying to find um, people in a townland here in this parish. And I discovered there were nine families with that name in the townland. Today, there's one. That's a whole, that, you could do a thesis on that. Where did they all go? Who's left belong to them? And that's what people abroad want. That's what people want through Clare Roots. And graveyards, Mary, can be a great source of information. And you have three in the well, local three area. Three on this, in this side of the parish, but Lissy Casey has also been done. Our three are Kilcreast, Clundergad and Kille. And some members of the ICA and myself recorded those gravestones and they are now on Clare Library website. 
and there's a huge amount of information in those. People come all the time because they can look them up from anywhere in the world and they can see. Now we did that about oh, 12, 14 years ago and some of those gravestones are now illegible so because they've been eroded and weathered so it, it is graveyards are a great source of uh, local information in fact one of my daughters one day said to me a number of years ago well ma'am when you're missing you're either in the library or the graveyard <laughs> so i think that summed up my interests and does it happen occasionally that you start working on a line of inquiry or a story and you realize this is much bigger than we thought it was at the very start this is going to take time but you thrive on that i take it I I thrive on it. It does take a lot of time. I have to say that I don't have a minute. And people often wonder, well, what's she doing? But um, I'm always busy doing something like that. And I love it. That's my interest. And I am very lucky to be able to do it. And I find, you know, the people in the parish, when I, I did a book through with, in association with Claire Roots, Balnikali, Lacey Casey, the people and the parish. And I have to say, I learned more about where I live doing that than I knew in my previous life. I have to say all the people were fantastic. Once they knew I was, I suppose you could say genuine, they shared their stories. I was very particular that they would be happy with what I wrote. I loved meeting the older people that I met. They have, they have stories. We often forget they have stories. We all have a story and that's what it's about. That's what life is about, really. Coming up, we'll hear more about the work being undertaken by the Clare Root Society, where some members are now using DNA to research family history. Welcome back to Atlantic Tales. The Clare Root Society was founded in 2006 by Ennis Manlari Brennan as an amateur family history, genealogy and heritage group in County Clare. Almost two decades and over 30 publications later, the Society is made up of members from all over the world. Dr Paddy Waldron is a former chair of the Society and has strong Clare connections. He also has a particular interest in using DNA to research family histories. I was born in Dublin and I escaped from the big smoke about 20 years ago to come here to, I say Killaloo because I'm a Clare man at heart even though we're across the bridge on the other side. My grandmother was from Movine between Kilkee and Carrigaholt and my grandfather's mother grew up in Six Mile Bridge with her grandmother so I have East Clare roots and West Clare roots but I'm still blowing in Killaloo after 20 years. And your own interest in genealogy and history and family heritage and family history? Well, it started when my grandfather retired in 1949 and sat down with his mother who was only 18 years older than him and started writing the family history and my father took over and by the time I was 13 I was hooked. I was serious about writing it down and talking to my parents about it. My mother died when I was 15 but I'd already written down everything she knew which wasn't very much about her side which was for Mayo. And then when I started in college I suppose I was able to go into, I went into the general register office first when it was back in the custom house. It has moved about three times since and started going to the National Archives and the National Library and other places when I lived in Dublin. And then when we'd come down to Clare we'd spend all my holidays in West Clare and go and knock on parish priest stores and check the parish registers and things like that. So it's been going on from a very young age for many, many years. So in the early days it was knocking on doors, talking to people, that's where you were getting most of your information initially? Well there was no internet in those days and it's still a lot about knocking on doors and talking to people and 
knowing what are the records that are online, but more importantly, what are the records that are not yet online. So, for example, we're told we have all the 19th century Catholic parish registers online, but every second parish in Clare, there's a book that was missed when they were microfilming the records. So you've got to know which parishes you need to go and knock on the door, which parishes are online, which parishes just haven't survived. And when Larry Brennan put out the message in 2006 for people to set up a new society, I was going to always be at that first meeting and I already knew several of the people who showed up at the first meeting. The whole DNA side of it is something you're particularly interested in. I am. It started probably only in the last 20 years or so. First with surname projects, looking at the Y chromosome, which goes from father to son like the surname. And then maybe 10 to 15 years ago, uh, it became possible to analyze the other chromosomes, the autosomal chromosomes, which come 50% from the father, 50% from the mother, a quarter roughly from each grandparent, an eighth from each great-grandparent. So that dilutes with each generation, but it can still take you back five or six generations. There must and be a lot of work in that. It, there's a lot of work in it, but once you get your head around it, it's interesting and satisfying. And I'm a mathematician by training, which I suppose helps. Is it a question, Paddy, of getting your hands on someone's DNA and how does that work? It depends on the company. There's about half a dozen companies involved. Some of them use a saliva sample you spit into a tube. Some of them a cheek swab, like the swabs we're all used to now from the COVID testing. And send that off to a lab. All the labs really are in America. There's one British company that's slowly getting off the ground. And they turn the sample, the cheek swab or the saliva into a computer file of ACs, Ts and Gs, the four chemical molecules that make up the DNA and different sequences for different people and then compare the new sample with everyone they already have in their database and rank them by the most closely related to the most distantly related and you log in, you see your list of matches and hopefully the first few you're going to recognise. In the early days when the databases were small they were all strangers but now if somebody from West Clare uh, sends in their DNA sample, their first 20 matches would probably be people that I've already corresponded with about DNA over the last few years. And it's all, of course, about someone else's DNA having been recorded previously, and you're yeah. hoping that it's there, hoping that you will get a guide or a steer with that information. Absolutely, and the people who use it the most are those who are adopted or who have unknown parentage of some sort or adoption somewhere in their ancestry. And for those people, it can be fantastic. There may be no paper trail, or they may be waiting years on a waiting list for Tusla or the Adoption Authority to find the relevant files. And we may be able to work out who the parents were in a couple of hours after seeing the DNA results. What is the big attraction of the DNA? And what's it like when you do track someone down or track down information someone's looking for? It's the problem-solving aspect of it, I suppose. Again, from a mathematics point of view, I, I love solving problems, solving puzzles. Sometimes you're scratching your head for weeks, months, years, and sometimes it all falls into your lap. But the reactions are incredible, very satisfying to have somebody tell you, you've made my day, you've made my year, you've made my life. I've been looking for this all my life. And you found it. My favourite case anyway I solved was family from Sacramento in California. Just knew their grandfather was from Ireland. He abandoned the family in 1910. They didn't know where he came from. They didn't know where he went to. They sent in their DNA and all their top matches were from Moveen, the townland where my grandmother was born, the neighbours up on the hill. And uh, I was able to say, well I know your grandfather's grandparents were Michael Lynch and Mary O'Dea who lived in Moveen and were having children in the uh, 1820s and 1830s. But the only question is which of their sons was Eugene Lynch's father? And it took us two or three years scratching our heads, 
collecting DNA from other descendants of the Lynch family and nothing was fitting into place and eventually they came over and nearly on the first plane after they discovered the, the Movian connection they came back a couple of years later and after talking to them that time I had this brainwave what if Eugene Lynch had taken his mother's surname yeah. <laughs> and it turned out that was what had happened makes it even more complicated he had emigrated yeah. as Eugene Curry or Curry or O'Curry had a family in New York left the family behind in New York went to California eloped with the young one the police came after them but eventually they settled down and married and then he repeated the performance 10 years later so you found out a lot more than so, you bargained for and it, we all found out a lot more than we bargained for and the descendants of the two wives were living within about 25 miles of each other in california and were able to meet up and quite perplexed as to the family secrets but they'd both been looking for what they thought were two different Eugenes and it turned out it was the same eugene the same man dna solved it of course are we getting better and wanting to know more about our genealogy, more about our family history. It's always been the diaspora who wanted to know where they came from. Most of us here and there had ancestors living in the same area for as far back as we can trace anyway, back to the famine and beyond. I certainly enjoy meeting the diaspora when they come over and they take great pleasure over just seeing an old ruin or a few stones that might be left at the house that their ancestors lived in. And it's great to be able to help them. The Clare Root Society's work isn't all about genealogy. It was established as an amateur family history, genealogy and heritage group that has published over 30 books to date. The first publication was by accident more than anything else. I was doing the first publication I taught on O'Connor Street, but lo and behold, the people of Steeles Terrace, Simon O'Donnell, Tony Lynch, Pat Brennan, my brother, decided they were going to remember the 100 years of the building of Steeles Terrace. So I was pulled into Steeles Terrace, so I dropped O'Connor Street at that stage and we worked the four of us worked on Steel's Terrace and we got out the, one of the first books on a local area with Steel's Terrace. It then evolved and we have currently over 36 publications completed. Now they're not all of Innes. I, the one thing I must stress is uh, Clare Root Society is uh, not an Innes based organisation. We have people in Dunbeg, we have people in Tulla, we have people all over the county that uh, are involved in this thing. Uh, my specialist subject could be described as Innes, which I love and I will still be working on Innes going forward. But the, the publications evolved on graveyards as well. You've got to remember now as well, if I could just go back to Drumcliff, that while we did old Drumcliff, Flan Heher and Bella Heher have do, done three further sections on Drumcliff. So we have done about 15 acres of graves above in Drumcliff, where you can go straight in. We have them online, we have them in booklets, and added to the booklets, what we did was about the biographies of the people that were available and we included them in the booklets. So we have broken down a lot of the homework for people that want to carry out their family history. I have experienced a certain amount of sadness in Drumcliff with regard you meet people that haven't been at the family grave in a number of years and you accidentally run into them. They can't remember where the grave is. They thought it was at one side but and it's over at the other side because Drumcliff is so, like you're looking at, like I say, 15 acres of graves. It's quite a substantial amount of graves. So you can go online beforehand or if you meet someone you can find out very easily where your grave is they're all indexed 
and you can go to the exact grave. If you don't meet the grave diggers who are very good, they nearly know where every grave is in Drumcliff if you talk to them. Are you still learning, Larry, about Ennis and the history of Ennis? Yeah, we run monthly talks in the teacher centre out the Kilrush Road. So I was at one last night and I learned about further information that's becoming available. It's the, the famous fire in the four courts in 1922. And oh, as far as we were concerned, everything was destroyed. But they are now putting a picture together in Dublin, collating records from all over the place. It is opening up new sources to us. Like, I completed a book on O'Connell Street, but I found out names last night about other people that were in O'Connell Street that I never knew about. I found out, I completed a book uh, last year on the Lanes and Bowers of Innes. I found another name that I'd never come across before, so that'll require a bit of research where it was. So, the day you're finished, I suppose, that's the day you're dead. So there's so much more there to be learned. And sadly, uh, a recent Minister for Education decided that uh, history was no longer important in the curriculum, which is a strange thing, but we need to bring history back into the schools because I see it now, even with the Gardaí that come to town. I was involved in uh, the commemoration, a slight involvement in the commemoration of the 100 years for the Gardaí Siakana. But how many girls come to town and they don't know where this street is or that street is? And how did to find it out? That's what I always say. They come, they don't, they know where to begin. Whereas we hopefully have stuff that will be able to work off of. Even down to a map now, we did a recent map as part of the laneways and bowers, which showed the old laneways in Innes that is readily available online, etc. Information is hard to come by. As we said earlier, Larry, it's feet on the footpath, it's people knocking on doors and talking to people. Is there an awful lot of information that has been lost accidentally, dumped and just thrown out? Maybe people didn't realise the importance of it. Yeah, I had two occasions, one in Crusheen and one in Innes, where I went into houses where one of the houses were handed over to the church. I went in that day, I knew the builder, being involved in the building industry, I knew the builder and I said, could I go through that house? He said, go ahead, I'll be, everything will be going to the skip. So I went in there, I collected the artefacts of that person and the prayer book was there, there was letters there, there was postcards there and with those I felt they shouldn't go to the skip, so I traced down a member of their family. Likewise, there was a house on the Clare Road I went into where there was a family row. The, the, you could see where the person's body was just taken out. The clothes were still turned back. Everything was going to go to the skip. But the information that was around that person was going to be lost. The third incident that I have is uh, an undertaker's book. Uh, what happened was uh, an undertaker was cleaning out the home house. The record book was being thrown into the skip, but a smart person was passing and spotted the book. And lo and behold, within that book, we got an insight into the class system in Innes at over back in the 1900s. That we could see those who could afford four horses to the graveyard, those who could afford two horses to the graveyard, those who could just go to the graveyard directly, and those that went from the poverty of the Our Lady's Hospital or St. Joseph's Hospital. The, the detail that were about to be lost sadly would upset anyone but thankfully that book now is available in the local study centre. No more than any other town or village, Ennis is full of history, some yet to be discovered. 
Every modern community has its own local clubs, but historically, Ennis was known for having a variety of clubs and societies. The late Oliver Mylan used to be very good on the clubs of Ennis, and we picked up a nod thing from him, but I was able to enlarge slightly in, again in the Rillemus and Bowes, but I would love, the books are out there of the different clubs, the Oddfellas Club, the Farmers Club, we had seven clubs in Ennis, and there's books out there, there was some secretary at the time, of all these clubs and they have the names, the addresses and possibly the goings on in these clubs. And there's a story in the clubs of Innes in their own right. That's just one thing. There's anything you do, each school in Innes has a school history. Some of them have done it, some of them haven't done it. We've tidied up, we're here at the back of the cathedral here in Innes, and we've tidied up the history. John Bradley did the history of the cathedral. We've done the religious of Innes that have come out of the place. But when you look up at the cathedral, you see a building. When I look up at that cathedral, I see the fabin because that's a poor cathedral. If you look at that cathedral compared with other cathedrals around the country, you have stained glass windows up and down the both sides. In that cathedral, there's only two stained glass windows up the back. I think of the suicide inside in the confession box of the poor woman that is, was identified as cutting her own throat. I don't believe it, but the outcome of that was she cut her own throat. I think of the lads that fell off the scaffolding that were building that cathedral. So that's why I'm saying to you, this is where family history comes in, genealogy comes in, as against the built heritage. The built heritage will tell you the day the, the building was started, the day the building was finished, but really the juicy stuff is in the family history. What would you say then to someone who has a lot of stories to tell? They might have letters or they might have a diary at home, but they have information but they would like the story to be known. I would say to them, talk to somebody in Clare Roots, talk to maybe their family. I always encourage children to talk to their grandparents. Take it down. You will never regret taking it down. I know when my dad was 80, we wrote his story for him to celebrate. Now I look it up myself because I'd never have remembered all that stuff. I would always encourage the children in the schools even if it's only one page, talk to somebody, talk to the grandparents. And if there are older people with stories, I think definitely there will be somebody in your family to record it. Now you can record it, that you don't even have to write it down. Or there will be somebody in the locality. There's somebody in every locality interested in recording stories. I mean, I know when I was younger, I often think now my grandmother was great to um, ask questions and she had lots of information because she kept in contact with so many relatives. This is my father's mother and she lived to be 101 and I could ask grandma loads of questions and there's questions now today I think to myself shoot I should have asked grandma that I wish I'd asked her this more or whatever but um, I think it's a pity because once it's gone it's gone and it's amazing how quickly um, you know if a generation passes away very quickly how much information gets lost and just a quick example of that there was a lovely family from Australia that came to Clare about seven or eight years ago, maybe nine years ago. He had a great-grandmother that went out to Australia and they lost contact with, it was Dooley, it was a Dooley family from Kilnaboy. They came over and what they discovered in coming back over here, and they spent a couple of days here, was that the contact had been lost because the woman had died on the way over in the voyage. So they had actually lost contact 
with her side of the family. And he's reconnected with three other branches of the same family who all went out to Australia. But the contact, you know, that it's just a pity nobody thought to write it down. Now, I suppose that poor man, you know, he, he went off a married man with his family and he arrived a widower with young children. Um, he, he wasn't thinking about trying to make contact with his wife's family. He was trying to think of survival. So it's just a pity, it, it, you know, there, there is that, um, that element of loss and the old Chinese proverb that whenever an old person dies, a library burns. It's very true and you don't see the importance of it, I don't think, until you start, you get older. There's a lovely poem out there, Footprints in the Sand. Like, the theory is lovely, you know, you leave your footprints behind. But I often say to the lads I ask to become editors of the different books and, you know, this is one solid way of leading our, leaving our or behind of themselves and the people around them. And I think the footprints in the sand is slightly what their root society is at. They're retaining these records. They're there for future generations to begin the search for their own family. If someone then, Larry, has found a book, letters, documentation, something of interest, found it in their attic, what would you say to them? I'd say very simply, ring me or ring someone or place it, if you don't trust it, put it in a place where somebody can trust it. If you have no interest in genealogy or family history, get the butter box, as I used to call it, throw everything into it and let the next generation sort it out for you, but don't throw it out. <laughs> <laughs>